live and on lockdown. Are you ready? Ready, ready? Broadcasting from Edinburgh, Scotland and across the globe. Listen here. You're listening to Ramsey Unleashed, going beyond borders podcast. The host, Fraser Ramsey. Hey, this is Afia Letham, creator of the Frame Your Day app, helping you walk out every day in victory. I'm proud to be a sponsor of Ramsey Unleash, going beyond borders. Hi, this is Zakia Ringold from NaturalSoapbySakia.com. Proud sponsors of the Ramsey Unleashed, going beyond borders podcast. Uh, good day, good day, good day, good day. Uh, for every you're listening, watching uh, from, uh, this is the Ramsey Unleashed, going beyond borders podcast. What a very... How do you say a very, very, very subdued weekend? Week, well, weekend and last couple of days uh, due to if you have not, if you've been hiding under a rock somewhere, uh, the let's say the UK has lost its queen. So a new era is in place. And for those who haven't uh, maybe seen that, you will soon find out. It's all the news. It's kind of just to come out from your cave or wherever you are, and you will uh, see what's going on. But a new era is starting, a new era in the UK, uh, a new era in the world. Uh, a world has lost so many 70 years, but it is, yeah, it was going to happen at some point. It was going to happen. It was a very, very subdued weekend. It's, it's a time if you're listening to this, and if you're listening to this down the road, you will, uh, yeah, you'll probably just reflect and realise that we'll be kind of well into uh, the first coming out of the first year of King Charles the Third, uh, former Prince Charles, is reign as king now. So it's going to be strange having not a queen but a king and all of the things that will change due to that. So uh, yes, but anyway, a welcome to those who are wherever you're tuning in from. Come on, you're on, we're going through YouTube, LinkedIn for the first time. We're going live through LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, and YouTube. Also, this will be edited at some point when I get a chance to go on, on the podcast, iTunes, and all that usual scenario with podcasts. But um, happy Saturday! This is a Saturday we're doing this. It's uh, just a, I don't usually do dates or days, but it's a Saturday, so it's a Saturday. But hey, uh, it's a Saturday, so weekend. It's a weird, weird weekend. But my guest is from Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, so my and she's called Precious S Carter. I'm not going to say the name again. So I've forgotten already. That's her middle name. She's telling me and Shante, but I can't remember the rest. But anyway, um, so Louis Shante Louise, boom, got it. There we go. But um, we're my guest is a podcaster, a author, uh, and basically likes to, yeah. Like break down barriers. So let's uh, let's have a chat, and we're going to see exactly get a bit of an insight. I have interviewed her. How would you put her VA virtual assistant? Maybe if you want to call it that, or kind of person personal assistant. Uh, and so she enjoyed that. So she knows what she's going to get. In, the kind of the, the she <laughs> she knows what she's going into. <laughs> so I think she's um, yes. So the disclaimer wasn't signed. So all right. So anyway. <laughs> So to anyone, to those who are kicking around, um, welcome to welcome, precious, welcome to the Ramsey and Leash Going Beyond Borders podcast in Edinburgh, Scotland. And uh, how's your day been? Or you should say it's kind of afternoon, where whatever you are. Yeah, three o'clock in the afternoon here. It's been a great day. Had my grandchildren earlier, and then came on over to the office to get ready to talk to you. There we go. Yeah. There we go. So hey, let's ta- let's talk about. Well, as I say, I like to talk about. I start at the beginning. Uh, where did uh, how did life start with you, uh, and kind of 
where you were born, growing up, the usual kind of scenario of this at the beginning. Tell us about it. All right. So um, I'm Precious S. Carter. I'm a speaker, teacher, and trainer. I love when we start at the beginning because I think the beginning of the thing is is the the most important part. And it lets you know it doesn't matter how you start, but what matters is how you finish. So I was actually born in Marysville, Ohio, um, in the Ohio Reformatory for Women. That is a prison. My mother um, was in prison when she gave birth to me. Um, she um, was in prison because not only was she a drug dealer, but she was actually an abuser of drugs. Um and so, um, you know, I was immediately taken from her and placed in the foster care until I went to live with my grandmother. And <clears throat> during the time when I lived with my grandmother, it was, you know, life was really good. I actually didn't even know that I didn't live with my mother because I had been there all my life. But when my grandmother began to get sick, um, I had to go around other family members. And that started um, the time of my life when I started to deal with a lot of trauma. I had um, suffered abuse, neglect, and um, sexual trauma from, you know, some of the male members in my family, including my uncles and my cousins. And as a result of that, um, you know, not having a mother, not having a father, dealing with a lot of um, trauma, neglect, abuse, I became a very angry person. Um, right. Fast forward, you know, my grandmother and my grandfather died and I moved to Cincinnati, Ohio um, to live with my aunt and her children and her new husband. And, you know, the abuse continued. But during that time of my life, I was old enough. And so I was old enough to fight. And uh, much of my life, I've, I've been a fighter. I'm still a fighter today, but I'm more of a fighter with my words and with my wisdom versus with my hands and whatever I can pick up. Um <clears throat> that led me, I think I was born um, an entrepreneur. And I say that because even as I was younger, I was the person doing everyone's hair in the neighborhood. I was the person trying to like write little books on paper and go door to door and sell them. Um, I was the person who would like make lemonade um, out of anything. And um, so today, like I'm a speaker, teacher, trainer, and really a serial entrepreneur. So let's say start at the beginning, as I say, let's say, so being born in prison, uh, how old were you? Well, how long did prison, technically prison life, I mean being born in prison? It's basically, basically, you're st starting life in jail. This <laughs> is kind right. of not the choice. So, how how long were you? How, did, how long did say prison life sort of last for you when you actually had to come away? Um, I was able to stay with my mother, I believe, for six weeks uh, before I was placed in foster home, foster care before my family. Right. I didn't spend a lot of time in foster care. I know that my grandmother got me rather immediately. Um, and like I said, I really, at, you know, during those younger years, up until I was about eight years old, I really didn't know anything was wrong. Like, I really didn't know that I wasn't like everybody else. Um, my grandmother and my grandfather did a very good job at sheltering me. Um, it wasn't until um, really when my grandmother and my grandfather started to get sick and I had to go around other people where I started to deal with some of the mean things that children do. And I started to realize the world doesn't revolve around me the way it did when I was with my grandparents. And so it was kind of a tough transition um, to, to deal with that. Of course, I started to deal with things like rejection and abandonment and, you know, just all kinds of things that we don't really know how to deal with as children. And then when the sexual trauma started, um, you know, I can explain it now because I understand it now better. You know, there is a great deal of guilt. Um, there is a great deal of shame that goes along with being a victim of sexual abuse because you know that it's wrong. You were taught that nobody should touch you in these places. Um, but these are people in my case who I trusted, who were supposed to be supporting me and loving me and taking care of me. 
Um, so I'm dealing with that. And then you also have to realize that as a human being, you have sensations in your body, even at a very young age. So you're dealing with something that actually feels good to you and you know it's wrong. And then what you're told, um, what I was told by the adult, by my aunt specifically, um, was, you know, children experiment, cousins experiment. And um, so I really didn't have any place to go to unpack that and um, learn to deal with, you know, deal with that emotional baggage that I really was not equipped to handle at that age. Why would you say, I've interviewed a lot of people who have been through similar, a lot of same stuff of family members who have uh, basically uh, abused and whether it's sexual abuse as well, but why do you think it seems to be a common thing? It seems to happen quite a lot. And maybe what do you think the reason is? I think um, it just goes back generationally. A lot of times, I mean, you have to understand that people deal with perverse things in their lives. And there are certain times that people have these... um, these fetishes that are perverted, that are absolutely wrong. And I think that for the most part, the people who perpetrate these acts are never to account. For example, in my family, when I finally wrote my book, Broken Beginnings, Beautifully Grace in 2017, I wrote it and obviously I didn't write it and name names. Like I did what I needed to do to protect myself legally. But when I released my book, the people in my family were like, oh my God, I know exactly who you're talking about because it happened to me. Now, in my family, um, and I'm not sure how it is, you know, in your family, but in the black community here in America, um, it's like we don't tell what happens in our house. What happens in this house stays in our house. Like we have to protect the family name, but we don't consider um, protecting the, the young people that this is happening to whose life is going to affect forever. And so I think that it happens because it's always swept under the rug. Um, People are given excuses. More people have a a sense of pride toward protecting the family name than they do to protecting the children that are actually affected by this type of abuse. It's it's interesting how how it happens, but I see your point. When you were going from, what age were you when you were going from foster home to foster home and different family members? How old were you? How how did that affect your education at school-wise? I've always been like um, extremely smart. So I didn't really have any problems with school. In fact, um, when I got older, um, my senior year in high school, I actually missed a whole quarter because um, at a certain point, my aunt put me out of the home because she thought that I was um, being promiscuous and I actually um, was still a virgin. But she put me out. So I was living on bus benches and in people's backyards. And when a family took me in, she actually called the school district and told them that I was a runaway. And so I got kicked out of school. Um, In the process of that, I missed a whole quarter excuse me, a whole quarter of school, but I still graduated at the top of my class. So school was never an issue for me. For some reason, um, just school has always come easy to me. So what, uh, obviously the school system in America is different over here. We have a sort of standard kind of, when you start school at five, it's primary one to like primary seven, and you're, as soon as you're like you hit 11, after when you're about 11 years old, 12, you go to secondary school first. Then when you're 18, you're done, then you can either go to college or university kind of thing afterwards. And it's a slightly different system in there. So, what kind of, I don't just describe your, your I know you obviously hit top of your class, that kind of been easy, but sleeping on park benches, trying to study, and then further you're uh, picked up as a runaway. So, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, living on the streets for how long were you living on the streets? Just a, like, I lived, um, I, w- I, I want to say it was from April until about July. Um, I lived on the streets. What happened was, um, I can recall the day actually, um, 
like I said, I dealt with a lot of abuse, not only sexual abuse, but my family, my, like my aunt was extremely abusive verbally and physically. Right, and okay. I, to the point that I'm like, she's not going to hit me again. You know, like I was 16 years old and I'm like done getting hit. That's and I said to myself, like, if she hits me again, I'm going to hit her back. Well, I have respect. Like, you know, we were raised to be respectful and I didn't hit her back, but I like kind of like jumped at her as if I was going to hit her back. And in that moment, I knew like this is over. Um, and she told me to leave and I left. And I I never looked back. There was this thing like I could never go back into a situation like that, that I was always miserable and always being accused of things that I weren't doing, that I wasn't doing. It just I just made a decision in that moment that no matter what I had to do, I was never going back into that situation. And so I remember I spent like that first night at a friend's house. And then I spent, you know, the next few nights at another friend's house. And then I was living with um, someone who I called my cousin who actually knew my aunt. And she called her and told her that if you keep letting Precious stay there, um, I'm going to call the police on you. So I couldn't stay there anymore. And so, yeah. So hence, like, you know, literally just walking around at night, hanging out with my friends as long as I could. And then when they had to go in, like, I, you know, would sleep on a bus bench or sleep on maybe somebody's backyard or maybe I would go into the city and um, try to stay at someone else's house. And it was during that time where I actually um, I went from being a virgin to getting raped. Um, right. OK. And um, but I'm, I'm also very thankful because one thing that I can say is, you know, I really feel like the hand of God has always been on my life. I was never, um, you know, injected with any type of drugs. I wasn't, uh, you know, sold into sex trafficking. Um, I never prostituted myself. Literally, um, there were people who um, always would give me um, the things that they felt that I needed that they could give me or they could afford to give me at the time. And um, my mother actually had gotten out of prison when she found out that I was homeless, um, that I wasn't there. Because initially my aunt would lie to her and tell her that, um, Precious just left because she didn't want to see you. And so I'm not sure how my mother found out the truth. But when she found out the truth, that began her age of sobriety. And she searched for me and searched for me until she found me kind of in conjunction with um, my adopted sister, Katisha, finding out what was going on with me and her family letting me live with them so that I can um, go to school um, in the school district that I had been living in. So being 15, 16 on the streets, eventually bouncing on couches, friends' houses, uh, being raped. And then that's like, but where did you? What age did you discover that you maybe had a faith, or did you find that? I kind of think um, I've always been a. I grew up in church. Now, right. when I grew up, we didn't learn anything about having a relationship with God, but we were we grew up learning taste not touch not want not. You know, right. um, but I think that I've always I've I, I think that I've had a gift of faith. Like no matter how dire any situation that I've been in, in my entire life, I've never felt like I was going to stay here. You know, like I always knew that there was something more. I always knew that there was something better. And I've never been a person to deal with depression. And I honestly have to say that has to be a gift from God because I've been through so much in my life that um, a lot of people wouldn't survive. So I'll say that as I became an adult, I began to understand better that, I wasn't like everybody else in terms of the way things happened to me. They didn't affect me the way that they affected other people. Um, and I started to just grow in relationship with God and asking him to help me to understand who I was so that I can be a gift to other people and help them kind of process things. Okay. When 
Did you, well, obviously when you said you're, you're talking about your mum, did you, what age were you when you sort of found your mum or did you find each other eventually? Yeah, so um, she found out that I was homeless and uh, like I said, kind of in conjunction with a friend of mine um, who now is my adopted sister, um, finding out what was going on because a lot of people knew, like, imagine I'm going to school every day um, until my aunt got me kicked out of school and I didn't have clothes. I didn't have right. a shower, so I stunk. I wore the same clothes every day, but I still showed up at school. And eventually it caught up with um, when I wasn't in school for a long time is when Katisha kind of figured out something was going on. And she went on a mission to find me. And when she found me, she took me to her parents who filed for adoption for me. Kind of at the same time, my mother was filing for adoption for me. And that's how we linked up. Like we showed up at court together one day. And um, I was extremely angry at my mother. Obviously, um, I don't know if I said this, but I used to fight. And along with uh, fighting, I was a, I was like, I was a mean person. I dealt with a lot of anger, um, and so I was cussing her out. Did definitely didn't want to have anything to do with her. Everything that went wrong in my life was all her fault because she she chose her drugs and her vices over me. But she showed a, a great deal of patience. Um, she showed a great deal of, you know, she gave a great amount of, of, of apologies to me. And she helped, she was actually the person who helped me um, start to understand forgiveness and start to let go some of the anger and the bitterness that I had that, you know, it was really making, I was angry all the time. And you never could look at me um, funny, or if I thought that you were going to say something, I was going to say something to you first. And it, <laughs> it was, it was, bad. So, <clears throat> Now they're like, I can't imagine you being like that. And I'm like, oh, I definitely was. Like, um, so you, you stay with your, you know, you stay with your mom now, but you just have a relationship with your mom now. Yeah. So my mother and I, um, during that time, I went to live with her. I tolerate her. Um, again, I, I grew up in church, a very religious church. Taste not touch not one. And because she had been so many years in prison, she she was now a lesbian, and I could not handle that. Um, right. I couldn't accept that. Um, I left her. I went back to live with the Battles, who was my adopted family. But my mother never gave up on me. Like she was the epitome of grace and just mercy and kindness. And eventually, um, once I got married, I, I got back involved with my mom and I started to change my heart towards her because I saw how our family treated her. And um, the more I got to know her, she really became my best friend. And um, she taught me a lot. Um, about forgiveness, about mercy, um, about how being angry affects your whole life. And um, really by looking at her and the way that she handled, the way that people handle her helped me to grow. I did lose my mother um, in 2008 because she had lived such a rough life. Um, when she was 55, she was diagnosed with like kidney failure, heart failure. I mean, because she did a lot of drugs and she drank very heavily. And right. when I tell you that, I went from hating this woman to never wanting to speak to her to her being my absolute best friend and like just the go-to person in my life. I was like, oh my, I was so devastated. Like it really sent me into a spiral because I didn't know how I was going to live the rest of my life without her. So when did you start getting into, I mean, work when did you start when you obviously leave school you kind of education is done work life when did you start really starting to getting jobs or just whatever to, to make some money when did that sort of when, when was your first sort of job and when did it start 
Um, so when I lived with, when I went to go live with my adopted family, um, Katisha, who is my sister, she's like, okay, you know, we got to get a job because, you know, we are 17, about to be 18 years old. We have to get a place. We can't live with my parents forever. And so um, I started working at Chuck E. Cheese. That is in a, like a pizza place where kids have birthday parties. And, you know, I learned very quickly how to flirt with the older men, sit on their lap, get the good tips and play with the kids. And um, I started working from there. Um, then I went into corporate America. I worked at um, like telecommunications company, was always in management. I've always had great success in corporate America. I did not go to college. I did not know that I could go to college. Like, and yeah. my, I was just trying to live. Like, I was just trying to survive. I wasn't really trying to, um, you know, I didn't really have a whole lot of goals and aspirations in my life during that time. I just wanted to, to like make it to the next day and not die and have something to eat and have clothes on my back. And so, um, yeah, I've always had great success. I think one of the gifts that God has given me is a gift of strategy and a gift of wisdom. And so um, very early on, um, 18, 19, 20 years old, I was in management positions in corporate America, managing people who were degreed, managing people who had been on the job longer than me, just because I have a, a way to think creatively and to solve problems. And it's just a gift that I've had. And so, um, and that never stopped for me. I went on um, to, I'm a licensed practical nurse. So I'm the, the lowest level of a nurse in, in America. I'm not sure how it is anyplace else, but I manage nurses that have their, their doctors, their masters, registered nurses, and I've managed doctors as well. Um, again, it's, it's nothing to do with me. It all has to do with the gifts that God has given me and my ability to kind of think creatively and solve problems. Um, but I've always hated corporate America. Like I've had great success in it, but I hate it. I hate all the backstabbing. I hate all the, just everything about it. I hate. And, um, I remember when I was about to finish my registered nursing program, I failed a class and I, I took it again. And I was like, if I fail it again, I'm just going to write a book. And because I was like, I'm not going to pay for this class a third time when the person whose job I would take makes like 20 more thousand dollars than me. Like, what is like, why would I want to keep doing this? And so um, I wrote my book, which is the one I told you about that kind of started. It launched my coaching career. I um, mean, and more than that, it actually helped me to understand that there were so many more people um, in this world who had suffered a lot of the type of abuse that I had suffered and they were struggling and they did not know how to overcome it. And so it really became my passion to, to help women overcome that. Um, <laughs> so I'm just I'm, my head's taking all this in. <laughs> Sometimes you got to just listen and where, where do you, where do I pause? Where do I, where can I come in? <laughs> you just got to let the person kind of go with the flow. <laughs> so uh, tell us about well you the book when the I'm, I'm just getting the timeline here um, of everything when it all kind of happened. So your corporate medical, what years? What time? What year was that roughly? 2017 when I wrote the book. So it's fairly the book, but before that you were in corporate America from when to when did your first? Um, um, I started my first like real job in 1995 after I got married. Um, I was uh, working at in customer service at a company called PageNet. And um, I, like I said, I, I quickly moved into management. I just always was able to have success in corporate America. Um, but I never liked and so then fast forward too many years later, I was like, okay, let's just make a cut. 
and let's um let's do what we want to do with our life here. So yeah. Okay. So what, anything else during your time of working in corporate America? What um was life? What anything else happened before? This is before you get to your book. Because uh, you're talking, if you start 1995, uh, I mean, you're talking in 2017, you started the book, the best part of 22 years. I mean, what else or things happened in your life in 22 years of those, that period before you decided to write the book? And when did you, when did you kind of decide to call it a day? Well, you must just call it a day in this office of corporate America and decide I'm going to be self-employed or, I'm going to, or when did you develop, did you just develop things round the job and how did that is just piecing this jigsaw together here? Yep. Let me help. So, um, in 1995, so when I graduated high school, um, I got into a fight, <laughs> my sister, um, it was a brawl. We actually had to flee the city, um, because it was ridiculous, but, um, we both decided to join the military, Katisha and I. And okay. when we came back from Columbus, um, Katisha went off and it was almost time for me to go. And I met a guy and um, I decided that this was the love of my life at the age of 18 and I was not going to go to the military. And so I can't remember, but I got to meet Colin Powell before he was like, you know, who he, who he, who he ended up becoming. And um, I had to plead with him to get out uh, of um, going to the army. And so I got married in 1997. Um, my husband um, was, um, he already had a child on the way that I didn't know about. And what I'll say to, to people um, about getting married at the age of 20 is don't do it. Because um, especially if you come from the background that I came from, you are broken. You don't know who you are. Um, at that time, I was still very much dealing with anger, very much dealing with like heavy spirits of rejection, heavy spirits of abandonment. And everybody was wrong. It was everybody's fault. There was I had nothing to do with it. Um, everybody was doing something to me. But along with that, you accept a lot of behaviors um, in a man or a woman that are really um, not right. So uh, because I had grown up in such turmoil with such confusion um, and seeing everything that was dysfunctional, it was normal to me. And so in, inside my marriage, like my husband and I fought a lot. Uh, we we verbally abused each other a lot. Um, we were unfaithful. We were we didn't put each other first, and it was okay. You know, it was the toxicity of our marriage early on was okay to me. You know, I thought that it was normal. I thought that everyone was going through it, um, and so we spent a great deal of time um, fighting and then acting like nothing happened. You still still with the same husband. We are actually separated now. Right. Okay. And when I tell you that it took me um, so many years, um, we separated, like we got married in 95, we separated in 2008, we separated in 2010, we separated in 2020. And then finally, you know, I left and filed for the divorce. But what I always say to people is, especially like, I'll go back to tell you, I grew up in a very religious upbringing. And so there were many times when I felt that it was time for me to move on um, from the marriage, but I had this heavy sense um, or, of obligation that I needed to stay 
because of the way that I was brought up, because of the way that I believed. And it didn't matter that, and, and a lot of social pressure, right? Because we have been married for so many years. Um, people think that if they can do it, anybody can do it. And they only see what we allow them to see. So early on, you would have saw us fighting because we didn't try to hide it. We were ignorant. We were brash. We were just out there for the world to see. But as we got older, it did temper a lot. But I think that um, we both grew and we realized, like, you know, I don't really like you. <laughs> like, you don't really like me. And it's OK. Um, and I say that to say I think my husband is a great man. Um, but what I will say is that the whole person that I am today would not have been in a relationship that long dealing with the things that I've dealt with. Um, and I think that you have to learn to give yourself some grace um, and you have to learn to sometimes accept who you are now and you don't have to be accountable to decisions that you made when you were broken. Did you have kids with them? We do. We have, um, so I have, my son, my husband had a, a child when we got together. He actually lied and told me it wasn't his, but anyway. Um, and we have um, Lewis and Donnell. But after we had Lewis, uh, he decided that he didn't want to have children anymore. And so he had uh, a vasectomy, which was another, uh, just another, you know, addition to the layers of problems that we have uh, that can stay on. So I got married um, and we we did life together. We we had a lot of success together. He is a very hardworking man. Um, very responsible for you know his children, and so we 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 did a we did great together with the uh, level of skill and the level of um, like what we had, what we had. We did great with what we had, but um, ultimately, like you know, it just it's not working. So, so you're not married. You, you're so technically you're still married, but not married now. You're so, but you're you're still separated, or you're with anybody now. New man, a new husband. No, uh, so we are we're filing for a divorce and right, so you're still going through that process, got you. Okay. Yeah, and I think it's important, especially who I am now. I don't want to um introduce anyone um to my life or to, you know, well until this is finished because I don't want to have any sort of residue. Um I've learned mm-hmm. a lot in this in this process and um what actually made me decide that I could not do this anymore is I was coaching a young lady who was dealing with a lot of the same issues that I was dealing with. Mm-hmm. In my and typically I would say to someone, pray fast and God is going to fix it. God is going to make it better. But it was in that phone call with that lady that I couldn't say it to her because I just didn't know if I believed it anymore because it wasn't happening for me because, you know, 23, 24, now 25 years into a marriage, I'm still dealing with those same things. And I prayed if nobody else prays and fast, I do. And um, what I what, what I want to dissect this because I know I mean I'm just and you've uh, you brought up a religious some background right, but not as in so I'm I'm talking about so you're more religious, but would you say what type of was it Catholic? Was it a normal church, Baptist church, or what kind of? And I'm wanting to dissect. I mean, you can be brought up in church, doesn't mean. But the question is, it doesn't mean you're a Christian. It doesn't right. mean in, in what way do you believe? So I'm asking. I'm dissecting this to know so. Praying, people, when you're brought up in a church, you would just pray. Yeah, normally it's just the thing you do because it's the norm because you've been brought up in that area. So, man, I'm did I say? So, the question is, what do you actually believe? And uh, and and 
where do you see well what, where's your thoughts and what you believe and what do you know regarding obviously according to the bible and what jesus says and how he says i stand at the door and knock and if you cut and that kind of thing so if you invite and you've come into john three sixteen, so what do you believe i mean being up in, there's a difference between being brought up in church but it's, it's that commitment so what do you believe and how you can pass what you believe confidently onto your the people you coach and you're going forward in your life so I believe like um, me, when I grew up in church, I did not know anything about having a relationship with God or understanding Jesus as a savior. I just knew what not to do. You know what I mean? Like I knew not to drink, not to steal, not to fornicate, not to, you know, I knew all the, the rules. Right. But I didn't know anything about a father who loved me. And I, and I didn't know anything about a father who loved me so much that he took on the form of flesh to come in and take on every sin and every transgression for me. And so as I grew to understand, read the Bible, let me tell you this. There's something that you said that I have to, to tell you that I love. Like just because you grew up in church, it doesn't make you a Christian. You can exactly. think, but if you don't understand any discipline about Christianity, if you don't read your Bible, you don't even know what you're professing to believe. And I was that person for many years. Um, for many years, I did what I was told. I listened to sermons, but I never took the time to really get to know Christ, to really get to know Holy Spirit, to really get to know God the Father. And so um, I recall like my journey started because I, I I've always been a person to pray, even when I didn't understand what I was doing. But I always knew that whatever I asked, in all honesty, um, it happened for me. And I always understood that there was somebody with me. Um, I didn't understand it was Holy Spirit at that time. I didn't understand the sacrifice um, and the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I didn't understand it. He's almost was teaching me um, to be a believer before I even understood um, the necessity of having a relationship. Um, he was developing it with me. He was walking me through everything in my life. Now, because I don't, I, I did grow up, like I said, in a church, uh, my grandparents were Baptists. Um, on one side, my aunt was a Pentecostal on another side. So there was a lot of different doctrines and teachings. So it's all <laughs> Pentecostal. <laughs> I, I know Pentecostal different. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's like one one extreme to another, literally. Right. <laughs> but they both deal very, um, very, very heavily in a spirit of religion, which makes you feel like. Um, it, and it comes along with the spirit of pride. And so a lot of times what we deal with, especially what I dealt with, and I had to really come to grips with it, that I'm really, I haven't overcome this, this heavy um, burden of the spirit of religion, because a lot of the decisions that, were, that I made were based off of fearing what other people thought versus following the voice of God and what he was telling me to do. Um, and I always say that there is a scripture that it says, do not fear the faces of men. And I have to remind myself this over and over and over again, because a, a big part of why I stayed, number one, in corporate America, but number two, in my marriage was because, honestly, I felt like um, I was going to be a big letdown. And who the heck am I? Like, you know what I mean? Like, who am I that I should be concerned about what you think versus what my father told me? And why should I deal with um, a bondage that and abuse and anyway, that, that my father would not have me in? And so uh, what I believe very much is we, we, me, was taught to look at God like a principal at the, a headmaster at the end of the hall who was waiting to dole out punishment to me, right? 
But what I know him as, I actually asked God to teach me how to be a daughter. Because, again, I didn't have a mother or father. And I knew that he was God. I knew that he was all-powerful. I knew that he was almighty. I knew that he was omniscient um, and omnipotent. My son, Louis, who is, um, he'll be 22 this year. Um, I was never, because I got raped when I told you. I got raped. And so mm-hmm. I didn't have any care. I never went to the doctor. And so years later, I found out that I had chlamydia. And so I had all this uh, scar tissue. And so I was never able to have a, a baby. This is what the doctor told me. Again, I'm young and I still don't really fully understand the power of God at all. But I remember saying to that doctor, you're wrong. Like, no. And I didn't even fully understand that the scripture be fruit, fruitful and multiply. Like in my mind at that time, at you know, the level of my understanding was it just meant to have babies. And I'm like, well, God told me to have babies. And so you're wrong. I'm having a baby. And um, I fasted. I didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, my aunt, the same aunt who was abusive to me, by the way. But, you know, what I've learned, what I've learned is she dealt with a lot of trauma and she only did what was done to her. You know, I've learned that. But she was like, OK, we're going to fast. And we fasted for 30 days. And before that 30 days was up, I had a baby in my stomach who's about to be 22 years old. So that was a start of me understanding, like, the power of God, the, the power of prayer, the power of fasting. And it made me know, um, because I remember like just driving down the street, just crying and crying like, God, there's no way. All I ever wanted was a family because I never had one. So there's no way that you're going to tell me that I can't have a baby. I'm just not accepting it. (laughs) And uh, it started my dialogue with him, right? It started me to understand. It started me to to search the scripture. It it, it taught me to understand him at a level deeper than just um, somebody that's with me that I don't really know or understand. And, um... I began to study the Bible. I remember when I was younger um, in my marriage and I wanted out of my marriage and I could, I, I studied the Bible so much for a way out. And even when I found it, I still was dealing with that oppressive spirit of religion that says, well, no, you got to be better. You got to be the one to break this generational curse in your family. Um, and all the while, you're not breaking the generational curse in your family if you're dealing with this type of abuse and neglect. What you're doing is you're putting yourself in a situation where you think you're God but you're not God. God is God. Because in order for you to break the generational curse, you have to break the mindset behind it. You have to break down the religion. You have to break down the abuse. You have to break down the, the neglect. You got to break down the perversion that allows you to get into the relationship to begin with. You got to build up a new mindset so that when you pick a, a mate and your, your mate finds you, you're able to identify with the true meaning of a kingdom marriage, which is two people coming together for the purposes of serving the kingdom of God, not trying to look good for people. So right. that you had to, that I had to learn. I mean, I had to break free from, um, and you know, it's still a process because I've dealt with that that spirit. I grew up dealing with it, and I thought it was right for so long. So I'm still unlearning that. You know, I'm still unlearning it, and um, I still have to reaffirm myself almost daily because the enemy will come to try to make me doubt myself. The enemy will come to try to make me say, "See, you failed," and you know, pride is a real thing. And, 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 and pride, it comes before a fall, as the Bible says. And it's very, very evident um, in life if you actually take a moment to think about it. It's well, one statement I find very true. If you've heard the trailer for the new Lord of the Rings on Amazon Prime, there's one there's one saying it says, evil never sleeps. Never. And it doesn't. And you have to be able to be on our guard. So it's kind of, it doesn't, it never sleeps. Um, so it's a very, very true statement, uh, to say the least. So you have to kind of, and it'll never stop. Um, it'll keep coming, it'll keep coming, and then you have to kind of be on your guard. 
But, uh, but anyway, let's uh, go to your book. You sitting there, what gave you the inkling or what made you decide to sit down and write a book? Was it because people around you might have been writing lots of books? Because uh, a lot of people around me are writing books, <laughs> thinking and publishing left, right, like they're publishing books, like it's going to they're good out of fashion. Uh, what made you decide to suddenly put pen to paper in a sense uh, or sit in front of your computer and start typing or writing? I'd always wanted to write a book um, and everybody like, so I believe in surrounding myself with people, getting up under people who are doing the things that I want to do in life. I'd never want to be the smartest person in the room. I never want to be the most wise person. And so there was a coach um, that I had. Um, she actually has a powerful testimony. Her name is Sophia Ruffin. But um, she told me one day at a conference, like, you need to write your book. And I was like, I know I've been trying to write it for like five years. And she was like, no, it doesn't take that long write the book. And it was just that simple. And I was like, okay, I'm going to write the book, but I didn't. And so when I failed that class, like I said, I'm like, you know, the next step for me, even if I pass this class is not even any more money. And that's what we got to work for. Um, so I'm going to write the book. And literally I wrote the book and I didn't even know what I was going to write about, but, um, I asked God what to write about and I just started writing and it took me two weeks to write the book. Two weeks. Wow. So, that's a good going. Was it basically? Was it just about your story, your life? Yep, it's just about my life, and there are some prayer points to help people um, understand, like how I was able to to deal with the unforgiveness. Which was once I started dealing with that unforgiveness, it really opened up the door for me to move forward in my life in many, many different areas. And um, you know, prayers on how to deal with unforgiveness, prayers on how to overcome rejection and abandonment, prayers on how how to overcome like the, the anger. Um, so it just gave people those type of, um, you know, tidbits and it helped people, it helped to open up dialogue to help people kind of get over things that they had never been able to get over in their life prior to. So from writing the book and publishing the book, from writing the book and publishing the book, um, where did you, where did this take you? What road? I started my coaching. It started my coaching. So, um, I uh, started getting inboxes. A lot of people um, didn't really feel free to, you know, like, engage with me open, uh, openly on social media. So I became like the inbox queen, talking to women about, um, and it started with my family, um, talking to women about what they had been through, um, and learning and teaching women like, you know, we want to deal with it, but we don't want to deal with it in a way that's going to open us up to spirits of perversion, right? When we tell our story, like even when I was writing my book, I was careful not to be so detailed to feed um, the spirit of perversion that is a a attached to the abuse and neglect that I suffered. And so started helping women with that. Um, and it went from there. Like I, I had a few clients here and there, but then there became a time in like 2019 when I said, um, my job is getting in my way because I could only take so many coaching clients on um, before I just was overwhelmed and I wasn't doing a good job there or at work. And so in 2019, I decided that I was going to quit my job in 2020, in March of 2020, and then the pandemic hit and I got scared. And so I didn't. And I was miserable. Well, by the time September came, I'm like, I'm not doing it anymore. God is going to have to figure this out. I didn't know what my next step was, but I wrote a post on Facebook and I said, um, my last day is going to be September 16th and I'm going to be coaching and I don't really know what else is next for me. But um, if you're looking for a coach, call me. And that same day, I got a call from a therapist that I had worked with 
at, um, at an orphanage. And she said, I've been watching you and I want you to be my life coach. And I was like, yay, got my first client. <laughs> and then the next day she's like, no, never mind. I want you to be the coach for my practice. So I went from like not knowing what I was going to do to having 50 new clients. Um, oh. And literally it was just that nice. act of obedience and faith that really changed the trajectory of like my life for real. As I mean, as, I mean coaching a whole practice as well. That's impressive. That is very, very good. So now let's, I mean, are you still doing the same now in the kind of, in that practice or have you still stepped away? Are you kind of rate going to the next sort of level if you want to call it I that? I hated it. So let me tell you. Oh, you hated it. Okay. <laughs> Because um, it was, it became a full-time job for me. Right, okay. I, you know, I did not want another full-time job. And so now I actually do group coaching. I went, I did that, um, and I still have a few of those clients, but I just scaled back. I told her it was too much, and I have gone from doing one-on-one clients. I still have, like, a couple of one-on-one clients, but um, I hated it. It was just way too much. So I, I love my group coaching, and I went on to become a business manager for people who are now my partners. Um, we... We do renovations. We have a Sprinter company. We have an Amazon delivery service. Um, we just we we have a couple of different businesses, but primarily I focus on coaching um, and making sure our books are good so we can get. Started. So when did you start your podcast? Um, I started my podcast in twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. I think a lot of people started podcasts in twenty twenty. Yes. I did whatever you did during the pandemic. <laughs> I think it was just the it was the trend. Hmm, what can I do? Everything's shut. I think I start mm-hmm. podcast. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what tell us about your podcast? What's it about? Um, it's Precious Moments Live, and we talk about anything related to relationships and business. It's really focused on women and women um, empowerment, just helping you to overcome, like, get really clear on the vision that you have for your life. And it doesn't really mean like what do you want to do when you grow up, sort of thing. But it means like, what do you want for yourself? How do you want to feel when you wake up? What do you want to smell when you wake up? What do you want to look at? Do you want to wake up alone? Do you want to wake up and pray or stretch or run or exercise? And and, and how do you want a vacation? Do you want to fly first class? And what I mean by that is, it's not important um, what you, well, it's so important, I believe, to get out of your mind the things that you think you can have and start believing that you can have anything that you want. Literally, the sky is not the limit, heaven is. So many times, like when I, that, and that's how I start off my coaching with every single client, getting clear on the vision that you have for your life and not what you think you can have based off of your current experiences or your past circumstances. I really want people to start to believe bigger because in all honesty, um, if you're connected to me, you're going to find that every conversation is going to lead back to God. And we serve a God that is big. Literally, this heaven and this earth belongs to him and there is nothing too hard. And I think a lot of times we have limited ourselves to the even the ability to believe big or think um, about serving a God who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And so we limit ourselves to what we think we can have because of what our mother had or our father or what people in our neighborhood have. And I think um, once we get past the vision, we talk about the vision um, in my podcast and in my coaching pro- um, program. And then we talk a lot about boundaries. We talk a lot about self-care. We talk a lot about limit setting with yourself so that um, you can really become clear on who you want, but then you start to establish the kind of um, behavior patterns that are going to help you get there. And that's not going to come without some discipline. It's not going to come without some sacrifice. And it's not going to co- come without um, boundaries. You can't just let 
people um, occupy your time when you actually should be serving the people that you are placed on this earth to serve and the way that you're placed on the earth to serve them. So we're going, uh, I mean, you're studying your podcast, obviously, so you're studying your coaching. What other things are you looking to dabble into? Really, I, I, that's that's all I want to do with my life. If I could sell all these businesses that we started, I, I would, but um, I have, I, my, my staff love me, and so um, we'll keep those going. But we've um, we've entered into, um, I say we because when I say uh, the next step is, is speaking, um, my next goal is to become um, the number one international speaker uh, for uh, empowerment and entrepreneurship for women. And um, so we've, I, but I believe that it's important to get to the children first. And so my, my business partner and I have been um, traveling to schools, to different like networks and, and talking to children about the importance of vision. And, and I want to talk to the little girls who were like me, who did not know that you can have a life outside of what it is, what it looks like that you can live um, and that you can make a decision today on who you want to become for the rest of your life and not what you want to do. But how do you want to present yourself? Are you an honest person? Are you a person that gives back? Are you a person that stands up to bullies? Are you a person that doesn't follow, but you will go the other way? If everybody else is going towards this cliff, you're going to go the other way because you know this is the right way. And so we start to talk about um, character building and um, integrity with children now. And we do the same thing. I do the same thing with women because a lot of times uh, women have become people pleasers. Um, they've come to, to be the person that they feel like everybody else feels that they need to be. And you can never be who God created you to be if you're trying to do what everyone else is telling you to do. So um, that's what I want to do. I want to help people break free from those mindsets um, that I had to break free from and, and live their life in freedom and, and love and peace and joy because it's our birthright. We have a right to peace and joy and we have a right to live an abundant life. We deserve it. We're the child of a king, so yeah. Would you be? In, are you, well, obviously you're uh, you're going through the divorce, but maybe do you see yourself, maybe or thinking down the line that you might once this is out of the way and off your plate, that you might want to settle down and meet somebody again and maybe have that more of a solid. It will support your business and what you're doing, uh, and have that sort of more wholesome kind of package that you've maybe not quite had from in the earlier days of your life. Absolutely. I am going to get married again. I um, I had said once I started going through this season that I won't get married again. But then I realized that was the enemy trying to trick me out of something that I've always wanted for my life. Um, because I spent so many years, I'm like, I'm never going to get married again. But the truth of it is, is like I'm a wife um, uh, to my core is who I am and it's who I want to be. And it's who I will be for a deserving man who will come and find me. There you go. Have you? What would you be keen to travel out with the USA at all? Have I said that would again? You, would you like? Would you be keen to travel out with the USA? Oh yeah, I love tra traveling. Is like my favorite thing to do. <laughs> I, I always look for an excuse to travel. So yes, let's do it. What are we doing? Is it Scotland is maybe calling, or England, or the UK in general could be calling. You never know. Absolutely, I'll definitely go. I'm I'm open to that. There we go. So tell um. Have you got any sort of messages or something you'd like to say to people who might have been listening to this or might listen to this on the replay uh, about your story of going through similar or something that you've gone through? Uh, what would you like to say to them, a message? Yeah, I think that um, the, the number one thing that I would say that people need to um, understand and really kind of get rid of is uh, the spirit of fear. 
The spirit of fear is the opposite of faith. The spirit of fear comes to stifle you. It comes to uh, stagnate you. It comes to make you um, actually move in the opposite direction of your destiny. The moment that you let go of fear, fear of success, fear of failure, fear of people's opinions, fear of your own thoughts, like uh, um, the moment that you step away from that is the moment that your destiny is going to begin to unlock. And you have to um, just forgive yourself for some of the choices that you've made. You've got to forgive people for some of the things that they've done to you because unforgiveness is a barrier to you living your life in its fullest because it, it keeps your guard up and it keeps you fearful of people. It keeps you fearful of developing relationships and relationships are the way that God blesses people. So I think that you need to get rid of fear. I think that you need to forgive and learn to love and learn to accept love so that you can move forward with like a passion and a vigor that you really never thought was possible once you partnered with God. Just one quick thing now that we're kind of pretty much out, no, we're pretty much away from the pandemic. It's even though COVID, we're living with COVID now and we're getting used to it, and it's slowly kind of the sort of talking about it is kind of fizzling out rather quickly anyway. Down the line, we're just sort of dealing with it. It's like, okay, I, whoever, yours. <laughs> anyway, now looking forward, um, what other, what kind of, go- we're starting to all set goals again because you couldn't really set goals as much because of COVID and things, and that's. Uh, where things are, everyone's just put on hold. Now things are opening up, as we as opened up, we are living our lives again. We are out and about, we're doing things. Have you got, what kind of other goals have you got set that you'd like to try and achieve going uh, maybe in the next year or maybe becoming 2023, maybe by 2025, that kind of thing? What would you kind of, what ideas have you got in your head? Yeah, I just want to travel. I want to speak and I want to coach. That's what I want to do for the rest of my life. I'll help people understand just the power of God, like a person like me, um, who who came to this earth with all the chips stacked against them. Excuse me, I'm living the life that uh, of my actually, and I want everybody to be able to do that. Highly recommend uh, linking you up with Daniel Gomez, Sticker Shock Speaker Speaking Academy, and he's in Texas, San Antonio, Texas. So if you type in Daniel Gomez or Sticker, you I can happily link you up with him. So certainly. Want to become a speaker, uh, and you certainly that would be your he's next speaker sticker shock is in March next year. So maybe uh an idea for you to approach that if you think it's the kind of road you're looking really keen to go down. I wrote it down. Sticker shock, Daniel Gomez. That Daniel Gomez inspires. If you Google his you get him on uh, his podcast, uh, he's basically also it's Daniel Gomez. And he does sticker, let's search sticker shop and you'll get all the details there. And uh, he has a sticker shop speaking academy, uh, basically. And um, you can, I actually do have his book. Um, well, you've not got it, I can wind up pulling papers everywhere. Um, but yeah, certainly you will be able to, um, yeah, way of learning to be a speaker, basically, <laughs> by going down, down that road if you want. And you'll certainly learn a lot, to say the least. But yeah, so anyway, I think I've anything else you want to say? I think I'm just kind of wrapping it. I think you've kind of you've covered a lot of bases quite quickly. We've done um, done basically nearly an hour, which is good. We've wrapped up, talked about your book, we've talked about your life, your kind of how you're basically beating up people, be, beating up people, not for, yeah. <laughs> safe, maybe not not quite for fun, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, but no. It's uh, no, it's been good. It's been nice just to listen. I, I'm not made ask that many questions. I've kind of just dissected a little. But um, uh, how have you enjoyed that? Have you? Absolutely. This was a, a this was fun. 
I got to talk about things that I wasn't even sure that we were going to cover. So that was really fun. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, thank you guys who listen live and who watch the replay. Uh, and if you're interested in following me, just I'm Precious S. Yeah. Carter everywhere. Where can we connect with you? Precious, so Precious S. Carter mm -hmm. is everywhere. Okay, cool. We'll have all links in there. We'll have all the information in the show notes. Uh, I've got three podcasts to edit, and I really need to sort of uh, kind of be sit down and do them. It does take about an hour to edit a podcast. About that. You'd be surprised how long it takes when you're sitting editing or just listening and you go, crumbs, it takes forever. <laughs> yeah. But once you get it, once it's done, it's done. It's good. But anyway, thank you to everyone who's uh, been watching the replay, tuning in somewhere else or whatever, but it's going to be on the podcast, listening, traveling somewhere on a train or a flight or et cetera, et cetera, or watching just sitting on YouTube or Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, you're listening to Ramsey Unleashed Going Beyond Borders podcast and uh, yes as in a new era is coming to the UK a new era is happening and uh, for those who might be uh, listening to this again you realise that the Queen has sadly passed away but it's now time for a new chapter in the UK and let's see where that takes us and thank you for listening so thank you everybody and uh, thank you Precious for being on our my being on the show thank you for having me Okay, to everyone who's watching, take care or listening. Bye for now. We'll speak to you soon.